Hello, hello, and welcome to Soccer Made in Portland on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. My name is Chris Reifer, and joining me as always, the Timbers and Thorns beat writer for the Oregonian and OregonLive.com, Jamie B. Goldberg. Jamie B., what's up? Um, Not much. Trying to forget the second half uh, of this weekend that I watched. Although, actually, the Thorns were very enjoyable to watch, so there was a half, half of soccer. Half yes. of the Portland soccer world was quite fun um to watch but yeah um trying to sort of forget that toronto game and and the final 30 minutes that was uh spent watching the timbers fall apart (laughs) oh man just i I mean just a horror show final final 30 minutes i was i at the time i was okay i was able to like mentally steal (laughs) myself because i was out at the ben brew fest which was awesome um and uh it was a lot of fun really good beer it's basically like it's a lot like the Portland Brewfest, but, but like the beer is way better and it's not, you know, like the worst place in the world, um, <laughs> which, which, which the Portland Brewfest tends to be, it tends to be kind of a mess. This was not at all a mess. It was extremely enjoyable. Uh, so I caught up on the game later after I knew what happened, which was, you know, emotionally a better way <laughs> to, to have to take, uh, to, to, to encounter that, uh, in knowing what was coming rather than, you know, having that absolute unmitigated disaster thrown upon me uh just as i was getting my hopes up so yeah uh timbers fc4 portland timbers one was the final score which is not a good one uh you were pretty pretty close on your prediction you were pessimistic going into the game uh you called tfc3 timbers one uh with the sebastian blanco goal you got the result you were pretty close on the score you certainly got sort of the lopsided nature of the game uh so uh even though you didn't get the side bet i think that's worth a a you know, I mean, that's not exactly the the hottest of, of takes per se, um, but you know, right is right, and and that's how it goes. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and award you fourteen point seven six points uh, for that prediction. Do you think that's that's a fair fair assessment? Sure, I okay. will take that. All right, uh, I called a two two draw with the Dirona Spria late equalizer. Uh, very easy one to score. That's zero points uh, because the Timbers got the, got their tukuses, uh <laughs> handed to them. Uh, or I mean, I guess it would be respective tukuses or collective tukus, depending on how how you wanted to go. Uh, and Dirona Spria did not score a late anything, much less an equalizer. So yeah, uh, that's I think how that goes. Do you have any objection to me getting zero points? I I can't imagine. Yeah, no. Uh, I, I think a two-two tie uh, is not at all <laughs> what went down in Toronto. Yes, no, that's not close. Uh, what in the world happened in the last half hour? I mean, I think that's sort of like the overarching question. I don't know if there's another way truly to characterize that. What in the world happened in that last half hour? The Timbers, they were fine for basically an hour. Uh, the game was, you know, I, I mean, it, it was a relatively even game, which is going to TFC, uh, you know, not a small accomplishment. They're the best team in the league at home. They're the best team in the league, period. Uh, so that is... You know, a good thing if you're able to play with them toe to toe for an hour, and then, OMG! I, I mean, what in the world happened on the OMG part? Yeah, I, I mean, it starts with Alvis Powell, uh, who I, I did not have a good game, um, and, and particularly once again came up with a, a bad error in a big moment. He he did a poor job of trying to clear the cross from Sebastian Blanco, tried to control it and, and gave it up um, to give TFC its first goal. It, it starts there, but that doesn't explain the rest of it. I, I mean, the Timbers, and I think this is a point we've discussed and I've pushed back a little bit on it and I'm going to stop pushing back on it, but but the Timbers are, are soft, <laughs> like you've been saying. Um, 
they did not respond well. They did not respond with the right mentality. And, and that's something that Caleb Porter has emphasized throughout his tenure here. Like that, the fact that the Timbers need to have the right mentality, that his psychology is important to his teams, um, that that's something he emphasizes. It, it's something he talked about in preseason when he, when he was trying to bring the group together, uh, put players on a leadership council to try to promote the leadership within the team. And, and we're not seeing that. Uh, the Timbers went down. They acted as if they'd lost the game and they let TFC walk all over them in the final 30 minutes. One zero deficit. That's a game that any team can come back into with the right mentality. And instead of taking what they had done in the first 58 minutes of the game, they just let things fall apart. So I think that goes to the Timbers just not being prepared mentally enough for the game, not being up for it, not having the right leadership on the field. Um, and that's demoralizing. And that is something that, is going to be the it, put talent aside talent's important but if you don't have the right mentality if you don't have players that can step up in big moments if you're consistently conceding goals when you're winning positions or late in games like the timbers have been there's not really a shot even if the timbers sneak into playoffs of them going very far because you need to be able to come up in those big moments and i think when you look back at that 15 team that won the mls cup while they, they had an up and down year, there was a lot of strong leaders on that team um, and, and players that I don't think would allow for that kind of sort of collapse in, in a game. And, and the Timbers seem to be missing that right now. You know, when I think back on that team, because I do like that point uh, a lot, when I think back on that team, I mean, I think about somebody like Rodney Wallace, right? Where, you know, I mean, Wallace is as a player, he certainly has virtues. He also definitely has flaws. Um but he makes himself into a good, into overall a good MLS player that I think would start for, I mean, gosh darn near any MLS team. And one of the big reasons for that is he's a guy that would absolutely tear his arms off, if that's what it meant, uh, to go get a, a goal, to go get his team a point, or to go get his team three points. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't see any other sort of factor that you can that you can identify that that sort of links all of the problems that the Timbers are had have had I mean it's one thing to say boy the Timbers defense is bad but I mean then then how do you explain the first 60 minutes how do you explain the the fact that they've taken so many results into the 80th minute I mean if the defense was just bad they wouldn't be able to do that right I mean they wouldn't be able to go to Toronto FC and and play when what was absolutely toe-to-toe I mean there was not much space between the two teams in the first hour uh, they wouldn't be able to do that if it was just a matter of the defense being bad or the attack being bad. Although I think that's a little bit far-fetched. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I don't know any other way to explain all of these problems other than, yeah, I mean, what we've sort of been talking about for a while and what you just articulated right there. Uh, and I do think there is certainly something to not having that, that Rodney Wallace guy the, consistently on the field uh, or for the Timbers on the field at all this year and with respect to him, but the type of guy that would do that consistently on the field in uh, sort of being able to scratch out to claw out these points. That's certainly something that's infectious. And I mean, if you were to look around this team, I mean, who would be that player that you would say, that guy is going to go do absolutely whatever it takes. It doesn't matter. That guy, it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what, what circumstances. That guy is going to go and is going to give absolutely everything he has uh, and then some for, for, for the cause. I, I mean, there, there's, I don't think there's a guy on the Timbers right now that you would sort of use that admittedly hyperbolic language uh, to describe the commitment that they give sort of to each game and, and to getting each result. Uh, and I think that's where you get 
all of these things that we've seen uh, this year. So, yeah, I mean, I, I have a hard time finding uh, a different explanation uh, for that. I, I think TFC certainly was, as the game progressed, uh, a bit more aggressive uh, in, in the way they attacked. They, they picked up the pace of play a little bit. Uh, they threw a couple more numbers forward. But honestly, it, it was it was matters of degree, and it was the kind of stuff that you would expect just over, to happen over the course of a game. It's not like... You know, Greg Vanny went into the locker room and drew up a completely different game plan and caught the Timbers off guard in the second half. It's not like uh, something radically different. Somebody came on in the 56th minute or in the 57th minute that they completely changed the game. The Timbers just went into the, into the stinker. And, yeah, I, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what more to say uh, about that. One thing that was interesting going into this game, and we talked about this last week, uh, was the Timbers held Liam Ridgewell and Fernando Adi out. And I think it's fair to say that the attitude around the Timbers pretty much throughout the week was, you know, these guys are questionable. Maybe we could press them back into uh, in, into duty. But it's clear, given that they didn't even travel, that they didn't even suit up in the 18, uh, that that wasn't even a consideration, that, that they really held those guys out. Um, and, and they were not going to play those guys. We talked about it last week. We now have the benefit uh, of the shellacking in hindsight. Do you think it was the right choice to be conservative with Adi and Ridgewell, two important players uh, in this game. And do you think maybe that uh, their absence contributed to what ultimately ha- uh, happened to the Timbers? I, I think one important thing to point out there is just that we don't know. Um, and, and we won't know until this weekend if they were really on the line or if they had to hold them out. Um, we're making the assumption based on Porter calling these both minor things that they had to help hold them out. And, and I'll get to that point. But just because sometimes he is coy with this, he doesn't always, we all don't always have all the information about injuries. I think it's important to just point out, we're not a hundred percent sure um, if they could have played had they been pushed. That's, that's definitely said, very fair. That's definitely yeah. very fair. But did you that's, get the same sort of impression? That yes. Was, no, I, I got yeah. the same impression. Um, I, I just want to throw that out there. If, if in two days we hear they might be out for this weekend, it, it's not, um, that's not out of the question. We just don't know where they're at right now. But but that said, if it came down to, yeah, maybe we could have pushed them, maybe not. Um, I still think the Timbers made the right choice because what you don't want to do in this situation is risk further injury, particularly with Ridgewell, given the injuries he's had this year. The, the Timbers need him. And I think when you look at leadership, he is a guy that brings a lot of leadership to the field. And Caleb Porter keeps making that point. Um, and they need him if they want him to bring that, if they want to get a center back pairing that's consistent with Mabiala, um, they need him to be able to put together a string of games and risking him, uh, when he's not at a hundred percent, it is not the way to do that. Same with Adi. That that's not a player the Timbers want to lose down the stretch now. And they're going home for two games, two games, um, where they're going to be looking to get six points, uh, because they're at home. And then they go off to Seattle, a major rivalry game, a six point swing, you don't want to put these guys in danger, even if it means that you're going to drop points in Toronto. And I think the Timbers probably recognize that this game was a game that was going to be tough no matter what, that, that a tie would be a good result, um, that even a loss um, might be something that they would have to accept. Um, obviously, they didn't want a 4-1 loss, and that was demoralizing the way that happened. And that changes it. It feels very different than a 1-0 loss would have felt at Toronto. Um but it, either way, it's zero points. And I don't think it was worth, worth risking those guys with some three, ga- three big games uh, really coming up in the next week or so. 
You know, and I was actually thinking about this to the extent to which sort of the, the scoreline actually dictates that. And I, in some ways, it, to me, this loss seems is considerably more troubling with the way it happened than necessarily the scoreline. I mean, for example, if the Timbers go out and TFC just sort of dominates from from one to 90, it ends 4-1. Maybe the Timbers get one, you know, somewhere in the second half or something like that. But the game's never really that competitive. And, 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 and you know, I mean, it, it sort of just you get the feeling in light of in light of the, the you know, the, the same sense that we get regarding Audi and Ridgewell. You get the feeling that the Timbers kind of I don't want to say mailed this in, but just for the sake of argument, let's say mailed this in. That in many ways I would be able to say I would be able to say ching ching, ring it up to one week. I'm not super worried about it moving on. This 4-1 loss in particular, though, seems kind of seems worse uh, that it is sort of the continuation of this problem. Uh, that we've seen manifest itself in a couple different ways, but it's very much a continuation of the problem of having one, you know, being committed to something, having one thing go wrong, and then just having it totally blow up. Do you think that is that a reasonable way to to look at it, or or am I just you know sort of dramatizing the loss? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think there's been different ways the Timbers have let things sort of blow up. Um, whether that's conceding a late goal when they're in a winning position, consistently making that an issue, or having games like this. Um, or the RSL game where, where they let one goal kind of uh, turn into um, a cl- major collapse. Uh, it's been different. It, it's been, I, I think you could look at each game differently, but yeah, there is somewhat of a trend there. And I, I do think that that's what makes this game feel a bit more concerning, uh, just the Timbers response. And I, I think maybe that's the trend you have here. And the word that we've heard Caleb Porter use numerous times this year, their response um, after conceding that first goal and in other situations, um, their response holding a lead, their response late in games just ha- wasn't what you want out of this team, especially a team that you want to potentially contend for something this year. So we do have a question from Jack uh, that gets to to a point that we talked about last week and that I talked about after the game as well, uh, and, and that I think is, is certainly a good one. Uh, coming out of this game, and it is was Caleb Porter's decision to start uh, Darren Maddox over Jeremy Obobese a bad, b indefensible, c the worst lineup decision he's made as the Timbers coach, or d all of the above? Or I, I guess e or you know some combination of the above. I, I added as sort of an open ended. Sorry, Jack. Jamie, just go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I'm trying to think back at some bad lineup decisions by Porter, and none are coming straight to my mind right now. I, I'm probably missing something. Um, uh, but I, I'm, I'm going to just go with bad, even though I can't figure out if there was a worse one out there. The reason I say that is because I, I do think there, I do feel like I understand Caleb Porter's reasoning. Maddox is a veteran of the league. He is coming off a good gold cup. Um, the Timbers are hoping that they can get some sort of production out of this game and they don't want this to end up uh, being a route uh, in the direction of TFC. And they don't see this necessarily as the game against the best team in the league where Jeremy Abobasi Ab- Ab- is a st- going going to be able to step up necessarily the way he did against Vancouver. I, I think maybe that's the argument for starting Maddox from Porter's perspective. But I do agree that I, I this was a game on the other hand, and this is why I believe that Abobasi should have started, 
this was a game that they had an opportunity to give a young guy minutes over a player like Maddox, who has been very inconsistent for the team. There was no guarantee that Maddox was suddenly going to come in there, score a bunch of goals and and the Timbers were going to get a win or anything like that. Um, Maddox very well could have been ineffective. And I I think he was uh, overall in his outing there. And so why not give a kid like, Abobasi a chance. Maybe it won't be his best game, but he'll get the 90 minutes. He'll grow as a player and, and maybe he'll surprise you. Like I, I think he did in Vancouver. So yeah, I, I think it's a bad decision. I, I think I could understand Caleb Porter's defense of it. Um, but I, I think it's a missed opportunity to get a kid minutes that you're trying to develop for the future. And it really could be a important part of the system down the road. You said something there that I, agree with in principle, but I totally disagree as to the rationale. Um, and, and that is the, the, that, that Darren Maddox is a veteran in the league. That is true, truly correct. Right. Um, there's, there's no question. Uh, to me though, that is the reason why it was sort of insane to start him. Uh, and, and, and uh, I mean, the, the, the rationale there is simply this, we know what Darren Maddox brings. I mean, at, at this point, there's no more mystery, Right. We know what Darren Maddox brings for the Timbers, and, and over the course of 34 appearances, that's two goals and three assists. Uh, that's playing both up top, uh, both as a substitute and as a starter, and, and that's also playing on the wing, both as a substitute and uh, as, as a starter. Uh, so, you know, I mean, that, that is just what it is. What we've seen from Jeremy Abobasi is has been, to this point, good, right? I, I, I don't think anybody would argue that he hasn't sort of in, that he hasn't impressed in the appearances he's made for the Timbers. So we're coming at this from the perspective of, okay, this isn't just sort of like random prospect. We don't really know what's there. Let's throw him and see what happens. This is somebody that's done it before and done it recently a, 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 on the road in a difficult place to play in a rivalry game at Vancouver. And he did it not only well, but very well. So, you know, it's not like this is some shot in the dark kind of thing. A, a, everything we've seen suggests that Jeremy Abobasi, even right now, today, is at least as good as Darren Maddox for the Timbers. And, and the and is important, as you mentioned, he's younger than Maddox. He has greater upside than Maddox. He's more of a, a part of the Timbers' plans than Maddox. I think you and I uh, agree that the, the, the chance of Maddox being back next season are not great. Uh, and, and he needs more first-team minutes than Maddox just because he hasn't, uh, the, the, he hasn't, you know, had the, that, that experience. He hasn't had the opportunity to develop and to play much with guys like Darlington Nagby and Diego Valeri and Sebastian Blanco uh, and everybody that the Timbers have in sort of their, their attacking core. And so, I mean, as I try to, as, you know, I try to put together the pros and cons list uh, for, starting, uh, for starting Maddox over Abobasi, I'm having trouble finding anything to put in the pro on the pro side. I don't, I don't know why you would do that. I, I, I can't come up with anything. I mean, yes, Maddox uh, is, is certainly more athletic than Obobese. Uh I, I think he has a pretty demonstrated track record of not making a ton out of that. Um, I think Maddox, is, I, I, I think Obobese is a better rounded uh, forward in, in many ways. Uh, that is sort of, sort of a better fit and a more like for like fit, uh, with Fernando Adi and, and, and somebody, uh, who this attacking unit is used to playing with. And so, yeah, I, I don't get it. And so I, I certainly go, I mean, based on everything I can see and, and given there are times when there, a guy has a knock and we don't know about it. Right. And so maybe Abobasi didn't have 75 minutes or 80 minutes in him. Uh, there are times when, you know, maybe Darren Maddox had just an 
out of this world week of training. Uh, and so Caleb Porter wanted to reward the, the, the work that Maddox had put in. We don't always hear about that stuff. So maybe there's, there's something there, but from what I can see here, I'm certainly there with bad. I'm certainly there with indefensible, uh, without looking at, you know, without sort of deep diving into the history, as you said, you know, I can't think of a lineup decision that, that was more of a head scratcher than this one for me. Uh, and so I'm going to go I, at this point, D all of the above with sort of the small caveat that, you know, if I were going to make a hard take on, on C, I would want to, you know, at least think about it some more. <laughs> um, anything I said there that you, that you disagree with there or, or, or that you want to push back against? No, I, I get your points. Um, and I think it is important to point out that we don't know what happened in training. I, I think that is a big one because Caleb Porter is clear that he's going to reward players for because of how they do in training. So that is a caveat that I don't think we know. Um, if a C had a bad week or, or something like that, um, that's part of the equation too. So um, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting decision. One that I, I think I would have liked to see go the other way. It'll be interesting to hear. Um, hopefully Porter will address it this week. What went into that decision? Yes, that will be very, very interesting uh, to hear. Uh, injury report. I, I don't think we have a ton more information on, on some of these since last week, but we'll give it a whirl anyway. Uh, Jamie Goldberg, what do we know about Fernando Adi and his availability coming up uh, this next week? Yeah, I think we're going to get more info on Wednesday, uh, unfortunately, later in the week and um, we had to record early with the multiple games uh, in Portland world this week. But uh, yeah, he was dealing with a hamstring injury last week as of Wednesday. Um, I believe he had not trained yet. So that wasn't a good sign for last weekend. Caleb Porter made it sound like both him and Ridgewell were in a boat where you you don't know it's minor. Um, like we talked about earlier. So based on that, uh, I'd hope to see them back, but we never know uh, until just before the game, really, um, how these things panned out and whether a minor injury can be pushed into a little bit longer, uh, longer term thing or not. Yeah, you know, and then that's probably the case for Ridgewell with the, the scar tissue in, in his quad. And then Gleason, uh, just go for folks that, that, that uh, aren't familiar. What was the deal with Gleason coming out of the game? Uh, and what was your impression just seeing it? I mean, not live because, you know, but on TV. Yeah, or yeah. The computer or whichever and, medium you used. I mean, it very much looked like he pulled up with a hamstring injury of some sort. Um, you, that could be a strain. That could be a pulled muscle. There, There is a wide range of, of what that could be, but he clearly was having trouble with that leg uh, afterwards and, and had to come out. So um, it's just kind of hopeful that that's on the, you know, less severe side um, because hamstrings can be very tricky if, if they're not on the less severe side. Yeah, hamstrings are, are, are tricky, and that's certainly the 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 case to a degree where you almost never see somebody come off a hamstring injury in one week, uh, even a relatively minor one. It seems like the the best case scenario is usually uh, a couple of weeks. The only time you see somebody come immediately back is a situation like I think Darlington Nagby had one of these this season, where he sort of like felt it tightening up and took himself out before there was any injury to it. Gleason certainly looked like there was an injury to it. He was sort of uncomfortable with it. Uh, and so that is, you know, even in the best case scenario, uh, it seems like a, a couple weeks at least. Uh, and that at least uh, sort of on the back end of it can can go for quite a while if it's a severe uh, or even a moderate hamstring injury. So uh, we'll wait and see what the report is on that this week. But yeah, I mean, I, I think even in the best case scenario, you're looking at a couple weeks for Jake Gleason. Okay. I, I thought you, I thought you were gonna say uh, 
it, it's uh, it's at least one week out unless it's Darlington Nagby and just just That's stop true. there because, because that would have been Wolverine. Yeah, <laughs> uh, is he 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 is he is the fast healer that we were always told Rodney Wallace was. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, the hot take segment to be named later. Uh, Jamie Goldberg, I think we have two pretty good hot takes here uh, in looking at our mental mental notes. Um, so, Jamie Goldberg, why don't you lead us off here? Uh, what is your hot take? This is the return, by the way, of the HTS TBNL, uh, backed by popular demand and by because, well, we had space for it today. Go. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to say after watching the Thorns game, after watching the replay uh, of Tyler Lucy's foul um, in that game, uh, I'm going to say that she should be suspended. And the NWSL, if they don't come back with a retroactive res- suspension, will be in the wrong there. I, I think one, it would fall past precedent uh, in terms of hair pulling. They, they've they issued suspensions for that in the past. Um, I also think what she did was just flat out dangerous. Uh, I talked to Mark Parsons today. Um, if if people didn't see the play, Lucy came on within a few minutes. Uh, she had committed a foul in, in which she grabbed uh, Danielle Colprico's hair pulled her to the ground. And then, and I, I do want to say that I think the second part of this was unlikely to be unintentional, but stepped on her wrist. Uh, she had to come off the, off the field and, um, replays just, it just looked like a dirty foul. Mark Parsons said today that he talked to Tyler. He's addressed the entire team about it and just doesn't feel like the intent was that she did it intentionally. That's, you know, people can look at the replay and decide whether they believe that or not. Um, she is a player that apparently only got a few yellow cards in her entire collegiate history. So she's not known for this kind of action, but at the same time, um, whether she was just kind of grabbing for a shirt or just kind of trying to jostle for position, that's a kind of foul that's just unacceptable to see. I, I don't think you want to see that from Thorns players. And, and I, I think this is a situation that I, I think a lot of Thorns fans probably agree. Um, they prefer to see a suspension here and kind of set down the precedent that that's not acceptable. Um, coming from Portland players, coming from players in the NWSL. I it, Obviously, the guys out there listening, maybe not all of them have had to deal with hair pulling quite as much um, in, in their athletic careers, but it, it's actually a very dangerous play to commit. You can really kind of give someone a whiplash, pull them to the ground that way um, on their neck by pulling on their hair. So I thought it was a bad foul around, a bad look for the Thorns. Um, it was reminiscent to me in terms of a bad look from when McCall Zerbani a few years back was suspended an extra game for um, stepping on another player's back um, as she kind of walked away. It looked intentional. Um, and those are not the kind of looks I think you want to see from a Portland team, from any team in the NWSL. And I think there should be uh, some sort of consequence for them. Yeah, I, so I want to emphasize a point that, that you made first. And that is the hair pulling is, is not dangerous because of something about hair. Uh, it's dangerous because it, it whips somebody's neck around. And, and that is an extremely serious, uh, serious deal that can really hurt somebody um, under certain circumstances. I've seen some in various places, some sort of like snickering about it. Uh, it is not about pulling hair or anything silly. It's like a serious like safety concern. Uh, that is the reason you never want to see it. Uh, and you definitely don't want to see it d- done intentionally. And so if it was intentional, uh, your take is is exactly 100% uh, right and 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 well thought out and well articulated. The reason that when I saw the play, it like it, it first struck me as weird, right? Because there was nothing seemingly sort of like leading up to it. Like there, were, there was no sort of 
you know, I mean, raising of the tempers or, or, or anything like that. It, it seemed to me to kind of come out of nowhere, which is why, like, I, I was kind of confused to, to start. I also don't, like, it definitely wasn't a situation where she, she sort of, like, grabbed and pulled back hard, which makes it, which opens the possibility in my mind. And, and I think this is why I think Mark's statement is certainly plausible. It opens the possibility in my mind that she sort of spun away from her, that Lucy sort of like reached to grab anything instinctively and caught her hair. And once she realized he got her, she got her hair let go because she didn't pull back and she didn't really hold it for a long period of time. She pretty quickly let go of it. So, I mean, you know, it, it certainly seems plausible to me the, that it was not intentional because frankly, it like I don't see any motive, first of all. Uh, and, it, and I don't think it's obvious based on the video that she sort of like, Looked to find her hair, grabbed her hair, and, and, and pulled back. But if it was intentional, but I, I like, I also, I mean, your interpretation, I also think is totally reasonable. Uh, that it was, uh, you know, I mean, whether she intended to or not, she got sort of frustrated or or, or whatever it was in that moment and, and did that. And if you do that and, and you intended to grab uh, a player's hair, yeah, I, I mean, there it is. Uh, so, you know, I mean, to me, it does come down to uh, to to that question of intent. Am I, you know, in sort of my rose-colored glasses? Am I ready uh, to definitively say uh, that she had that intent? No, I'm not. Um, but if she did, yeah, no defense. Uh, I, I agree with you entirely. Do you think my sort of, I mean, I mean, am I being too much of a homer in, in questioning intent there? Or do you think there is space to plausibly question whether uh, she intended to do that? I, I think there is space to question whether she intended to do that. I, I sounds like she, like I said, she I think she maybe got two yellow cards in her entire collegiate career, which is very low. Um, she doesn't strike you as a player. And from what Mark Parsons has said, that is a dirty player that goes out there looking to hurt other teams. And apparently, at least what she told Mark, is that she was an accident and she was apologetic about it. Um, that said, I, I still think there should be a suspension. I, I think that you don't want the intent is up in the air. And you don't want to let these kind of things slide, um, especially when you're not 100% sure of the intent um, and raise opportunities for other players to kind of make an argument that there wasn't intent there. This is just not the type of foul you want to see. Um, it, it was hard to look at on the replay. And there's a player now that, and I do think the wrist stepping was kind of a product of how she fell. Um, but there's a player now that could potentially be out um, for an extended period of time. We don't know. So yeah, I, I think for me, there should be a suspension there regardless of what the ultimate intent was. Cause I don't think that's simple to determine and it's just not the type of foul we want to see. I actually think that's the best argument I've heard in favor of why this should be a suspension regardless, uh, is sort of the prophylactic argument of there are going to be times when this is intentional. It's too easy to sort of hide that intent in happenstance. Uh, and so, I mean, if this is something that's dangerous enough, uh, that if it happens, you're kind of going to, there are going to be some people maybe that get the the bad end of it. Um, if that's ending up how it, how it turns out. And so, yeah, I think that's a, that's a pretty good argument that it's sort of as a prophylactic measure that just needs to be a suspension when it happens, because it, it is dangerous and it's something that can't be tolerated in the game if done, uh, intentionally. And there's no real other way to consistently punish it. Nice work, Jamie Goldberg. Excellent <laughs> hot take. Um, yeah, very well thought out hot take, like multiple levels, an onion of a hot take, uh, <laughs> tremendously well done. 
Uh, my hot take comes from is stems from nothing related to the Timbers. It actually has to do with our old friend Maxi Arudi and FC Dallas uh, in their game against uh, against Colorado that ended 0-0. Toward the end of the first half, uh, there there was a play in which Atiba Harris for FC Dallas stepped in on, on, on Dominique Badgie and put in a tackle. As a result of that and 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 Badgie's touch, the the ball deflected quite away to Christian Coleman, who then took the ball you know 60 or so yards downfield. Uh, did kind of a turn, evaded a couple defenders, laid it off for Urudi, who scored. They, the, the referee uh, in, in that game, Alan Kelly, ultimately, I, I think it was Alan Kelly. Am I remembering that right? I think, I think I am. Uh, Alan Kelly ultimately went to uh, the, uh, the, the video replay. Uh, he took a very quick look at the play and ultimately disallowed the goal because he had judged that Atiba Harris's foul at the beginning of the play was enough to to justify uh, nullifying the goal. The goal happened, uh, you know, about 60, maybe 70 yards away from where the foul happened. Uh, it was a full 12 seconds later. So, you know, it's not like it was kind of a bang, bang, uh, go right down and, and, and score kind of thing. There were a couple of things that happened. There were, frankly, multiple uh, chances for the defense to intervene uh, between the foul and when the goal was ultimately scored. But nonetheless... Kelly determined that it was sort of that the foul occurred, quote, in the attacking phase of play, uh, and therefore the goal was disallowed. This is interesting because one of the biggest questions going into the VAR experience was what this phrase attacking phase of play would mean. Uh, I, I, you know, I wrote a, an article on 442 this weekend where I sort of put together a couple hypotheticals. One was, you know, I mean, what if you have a 15, a 15 pass sequence uh, and the guy controlling that first pass, the the ball kicks up on him and it and it and it and it you know hits his hand and there's a question as to whether he he it was intentional or not. The referee doesn't call it. Fifteen passes later, the team scores. Is that question of a handball in the quote unquote attacking phase of play such that it should nullify video uh, null that it should nullify the goal on replay? Uh, on the on the other hand, I mean you you have a, I actually pose basically what happened in this Colorado game. You have a tackle. Uh, that sort of finishes the other team's attacking phase of play, from which uh, the the attacking team then gets the ball and then goes down and scores. Even if it's, you know, separated from the goal by a lot of yards and even, you know, in this case, 12 seconds, should that be something that nullifies a goal? I mean, at, at what point do we sort of draw the the butterfly flaps its wings and then the goal is scored? Line. Um, and, and I think this this raises another difficult question. That is, if you are going to sort of interpret this liberally, and I, and I think I would certainly say that this is a very broad interpretation uh, of that attacking phase of play phrase that Kelly employed. If you're going to interpret it that way, if you're going to, you know, go back a significant way from when a goal is scored to, to something that happened remotely both on the field and in time to, to determine if there was a foul there, why aren't we, and is there any, like, meaningful distinction between when, for example, a foul leads to an attacking set piece that is then immediately scored. Why would we not review the latter, but we would review the former and nullify a goal uh, based on the former, but not the latter? I don't think that particular point makes sense. I, I, I think when you're so broadly interpreting this attacking phase of play phrase, you are entering sort of a slippery slope argument when you get to the point where you're pretty arbitrarily cutting certain things off from review and, 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 and including certain other things. And I think that in and of itself has a potential to be quite a driver of 
you know, whatever you want to call it, sort of VAR-driven injustice in games, where you're going to have certain goals allowed and certain goals disallowed for reasons that that don't entirely make sense. Uh, and and so I, I think this is a troubling way to interpret this. And I think then not taking the further step then of reviewing uh, fouls that lead to attacking set pieces that are then scored uh, doesn't make a ton of sense. What do you think? I mean, do you think that there should be this permissive uh, interpretation of a f- attacking phase of play? Uh, or do you agree with me that it should be narrower? For me, I would basically make it if there's a foul that pretty quickly within a second or two or three or so, uh, but in any event immediately leads to a goal. Do you, do you like my formulation or do you like the way Kelly uh, and pro appear to be handling it? I mean, I, I would definitely like it to be narrow, narrower rather than expanding it. I, I wouldn't want to see uh, suddenly let's add in uh, fouls that lead to attacking set pieces and then potentially add in more off that. I mean, at some point you want this to be somewhat limited uh, in terms of the flow of the game. I think the issue with VAR right now is, as we pointed out, e- even uh, more broadly, that there's a lot of... Um, it's very arbitrary based on the referee's interpretation at this moment and, and what they're deciding to look at, what they're not deciding to look at, how far back they're looking, what what they're interpreting each uh, aspect at. I, I think that there needs to be a little bit more... Um, less of a gray area. I think that over time, hopefully MLS is going to kind of fine tune um, the program a little bit and, and maybe kind of set the standards for referees a little bit more. So it's not so much um, interpretation happening from the referee that there are certain cir- circumstances in which they are going to do video replay um, certain circumstances that they're not. And, and it's very clearly defined uh, because right now it is, there's a lot of room for interpretation from different referees. And I, I think we're getting different interpretations. And what I think we want is consistency. Now, now my microphone works. Uh, this is by the way, 100% user error. And I, I always blame my microphone. Yeah, it's me. Um, I mean, that raises a really, a, a really good point that frankly, I have no idea absolutely no idea how to answer. If you were to take Alan Kelly off the field and put Sylvia Petrescu or Alan Chapman or, uh, or Kevin Stott or any number of other uh, of the regular referees on that field in that spot, doing that same review, would they all come to the same conclusion about attacking phase of play? I have no idea. Um, but I think that's, I mean, when you have a, a phrase that is as broad and as ambiguous as that, I think that's exactly the problem. I mean, do you, do you think that's a reasonable way to look at it? Yeah, I, I want it to be narrower. I want it to be, like I said, less of an interpretation for referees. I want it to be clearly laid out uh, in a way that you're going to get a similar interpretation referee to referee. Um, it's not going to be so broad that, that game to game, you don't know what to expect. So we've got some Friday night lights. I'm sorry, that was... Horrible. Uh, coming up in uh, on Friday, which is when Friday Night Lights usually happen. Uh, and that is a, a game between the Portland Timbers and the New York Red Bulls. This game was going to be on Sunday, but they uh, they moved it to Friday for reasons that have never been sort of formally explained. Uh, but it definitely works out to the Timbers' benefit, to be sure. Uh, but in any event, the Red Bulls are coming to town uh, for the first time in a couple of years. Uh, we, we, as we noted, we don't have a whole lot of injury information. So let's let's take a step back and look at these next couple games. The Red Bulls and, and the following game, the following Wednesday against Colorado. How important are these two games together? I mean, the, the, these are two games that the Timbers have at home. They're attainable points. 
Uh, obviously now nine games left in the season. We're sort of getting down to it. How many points do you think the Timbers need to take from these two in order to sort of legitimately stick around in the playoff race? I mean, I think they probably need at least four to legitimately stick around in the playoff race, but they really, this, this is a six point swing that they'd really like to take all, take all six from it. It's two home games. Um, I, I think you alluded to it, but they're going to be playing against a Red Bull team that's coming off short rest after a U.S. Open Cup game on Tuesday um, and, and dealing with significant flat factors from travel. The Red Bulls are, have done very well this year and, and I have been riding, uh, been getting a lot of wins recently. So this isn't going to be an easy game, but the Timbers are benefiting uh, from the day of the week that it's going to be played. Colorado, um, that's a game that this Timbers simply cannot lose uh, if they want to stay in playoff. Uh, contention and stay in a good spot. That's a team that struggled throughout the year. They're going to be playing on the road where they have yet to earn a win all season. Um, I see that as a must win for the Timbers while I see this Red Bull game as an opportunity to get a win, one that the Timbers are going to be disappointed if they don't, but at bare minimum to stay around in the playoff race, I think they need at least one point out of this game, but the expectation should be all three. Um, you look at the standings right now, the Timbers are only three points out of first place. There's games in hand and, and that matters. Um, but they're three points out of first place. They're three points b- above the red line. So this is going to come down to the wire uh, and the Timbers can't afford at this point to drop too many more points to, to not take advantage of good opportunities. When you look at points per game, um, the Timbers are in sixth place in the West San Jose is right behind them. It's very close, but, but that means that, you know, other teams are going to have to drop points and the Timbers are going to have to pick points up to kind of make up some of those points per game. Um, and, and it's should be their goal even still to not necessarily just sneak into the playoffs and finishing six that, that wouldn't be a good position to be in. So these games are very important. I think four is a minimum, um, but I think the Timbers really are going to want all six out of this swing. I totally agree. Those are my numbers as well. I mean, you, you pointed this out. The Western Conference is insane uh, right now with how bunched up it is. It is not the case in the East, and, it, and it, is, it does not work out this way every year. But you're right. The Timbers are only three points out of first place, and all three of, the, of those teams that are, that are tied atop the Western Conference only have one game in hand on the Timbers. So it's not like there's a massive points-per-game difference there. That, that isn't, you know, I mean, even relatively easily overcome over the course of a nine-game stretch. The Timbers are also in sixth in the West on points per game and are basically just teetering, teetering over the San Jose Earthquakes for seventh. That's crazy. Uh, and, and the reality is you, you can't afford when you're in a position like that, when you've got seven teams really going for it and maybe an eighth if Real Salt Lake truly is going to put this together, uh, fighting for six playoff spots with sort of both everything to, to win and everything to lose, you can't let points that you should earn go by without earning them. Uh, and I think, you know, as you pointed out, that is exactly what these next two home games are. So, you know, I mean, I, I think you're going to only call it a success uh, with six. Uh, and, and I think you can only, you know, I mean, if the Timbers come away with four, uh, I think you would say, okay, but man, those two points are likely to be, uh, to be big ones. And then you're heading into a weekend match at Seattle in which you're, you're looking at a massive, massive six pointer, uh, against a team with whom the Timbers are very much competing right now, uh, for playoff position. So boy, oh boy, uh, this is going to be a big, big stretch starting up uh, on Friday evening, we may or may, I think we do plan or 
<laughs> hope at least to record before the Colorado game. So we're not talking about that in specificity yet. But boy, this is a big, big stretch coming up. And that explains to me, that explains a lot of the feeling, even in hindsight, as to why the Timbers would have been conservative with Finn and uh, and Liam Ridgewell. Um, questions. We got a couple. Peter wants to know first, a weekly, a weekly Ridgewell question, because got to have it. Uh, how difficult would it be to find somebody who can replace Ridgewell's leadership since nobody on the team fills that role right now? First of all, sort of uh, address Peter's premise. Do you agree uh, that there is sort of a ridgy gap uh, when he is not in there, uh, and in particular with, with respect to leadership? And B, uh, directly to his question, how difficult is it to fill that gap? Yeah, I, I think there is a, a ridgy gap. Um, I, I haven't, I, I don't think Ridgewell's leadership is, is as obvious to me as maybe Will Johnson's was. Um, the, he's not kind of the outspoken guy on the field, at least from the perspective of uh, someone watching in the way Will Johnson was. Um, but Caleb Harder keeps pointing to that leadership there, and I'm not seeing anyone else on the team that's really stepping up and, and seems to be filling that void. So, yeah, I, I do agree with the premise. Um, I, I think that, you know, even a player like Larry Smallbiala could bring a lot of leadership to the team over time. Um, it, it's not going to happen overnight, even with a veteran player coming in, that they're suddenly going to be a leader on the team. They have to gain the respect of their teammates. They have to fit in. They have to adjust over time. And, and that through that, even if it's a player that's a veteran and has brought leadership to past teams, it comes over time where they start being that leader on the field. Um, you even look at Diego Valeri, it's been over time um, when he has taken that captain arm, captain's armband. It wasn't in the first few years here, even though he was a good player on the field. It's really been on his with his performance over time, and I think getting a little bit more vocal uh, through the years. Um, it's not simple to find a player that brings leadership, and it does seem like the Timbers, if they move away from Ridgey at this year, are going to be both looking to sign a center back and making sure that center back is a guy that can bring leadership, and that is an added obstacle. But they, they've they done it before. They've had veterans on the back line. And when you look at the best center back pairing the Timbers have had, uh, I think as an MLS team, it, it was Nap Orchards and Liam Ridgewell, two players uh, that that year in 2015 were healthy the majority of the year, um, which is a big part, and two players that brought a ton of leadership to the field. And I think that was a huge reason why the Timbers were able to, able to overcome some issues throughout the year to ultimately go on and win the MLS cup, um, particularly with the leadership of those two players. So I, I think that that's something that the Timbers look at when they're scouting players. It's something they're aware of. They're not just looking at on-field play. They're looking at personality attributes. And, and I think if Ridgewell, it, if the Timbers decide to part ways with Ridgewell due to all these injuries at the end of the year, they're going to be looking for a center back. That's not only good, but they're not going to be looking for a young guy. I think they're going to be looking for a veteran that's going to bring leadership to the field. So I'm going to first make a point that's kind of apropos of nothing, but you're just reminding me of it, and I meant to make it earlier. Uh, so Laris Mabiala, uh, who uh, you mentioned as, as, as somebody who can uh, who can provide leadership over time, and I guess this is like super tangentially related. Uh, he is in his in all of his games in Portland. He has only played with the same center back partner. Uh, once between the Vancouver and Houston games, he played with Lawrence Olam both times. Um, that's really hard. <laughs> that's that's not really a good way to to be bringing a new guy into the fold. You definitely would want to surround him with consistency uh, to get him in and acclimated with the folks that that you want him playing with uh, and 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 comfortable. 
And frankly, I, I mean, I thought that was a factor in, in the TFC game where he, for the first time, I mean, credit to him, he has not looked uncomfortable for a lot of the time. I thought in the second half against TFC, he looked really uncomfortable and like he was chasing the game and guessing a bit. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I, I just wanted to sort of point that out as, as a factor um, because that is really, really suboptimal uh, as, when it comes to a way uh, to sort of bring in a, a new central component uh, to a central defense. Um, to this question in particular, you know, I've been sort of going back and forth on this because I, I do think Ridgewell provides leadership. I think Ridgewell provides organization. Uh, you know, everything I've ever heard from people sort of on the playing end of the Timbers organization uh, is that Ridgewell is sort of a good day-to-day locker room training, getting guys organized, getting guys out there, getting guys doing their job, kind of kind of presence in the locker room. And that's important. And so I, when he's not sort of in there day-to-day, I do think there there's a Ridgewell gap. And I've, frankly, I mean, I mean, I, I like I've, people have, have said that to me uh, and, and I have no reason to disbelieve that. So I, I definitely think that gap exists. When I think about how much that's affecting the Timbers right now, I'm not sure if that's really it. Because, I mean, A, we have seen some of these sort of meltdowns when Ridgewell is on the field, the most recent one being in that L.A. game, uh, when they totally melted down after giving up the, the, that first goal. Uh, we're lucky not to come away 3-1. Ridgewell was there and on the field for all, for all of that. It's not that any, any of that was in particular his fault. Um, but, I, I mean, it, it seems to me that is more of a, you know, I mean, sort of on-field focus, commitment, desire issue than it is sort of a, Let's get everybody doing the right thing at the right time uh, sort of issue. And so I'm not entirely convinced that, that the, the issues we're seeing are because of or, or significantly contributed to by the Ridgewell gap. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, if he does leave next season, and, we, and we've talked about that over the course of the last, uh, the last several weeks, uh, I think that is a, a very real possibility that the Timbers are going to find that they can't commit the resources they're committing to him uh, for a guy that they don't know is going to be healthy. Uh, is that somebody that they would need to replace? Absolutely. And is that kind of hard to replace? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, I mean, I, I think that'll be a challenge for the Timbers in the offseason if they do choose to go uh, a different way, because that if they lose that, if they don't have enough of that in the locker room, that just opens up a, a whole nother slew of problems uh, that I, I, I don't know if the Timbers have had when he's been in there. So uh, so I do think there's a Ridgewell gap. I do think it's important to fill it. I don't think it's easy, but I'm not entirely convinced it's causing all the Timbers problems right now. Uh, John, is Diego Valeri having an MVP season? Is he in the conversation? Should he be? I think that, yeah, I, I think that he is having um, a, a season that should put him in the conversation for MVP. I don't think he's going to win MVP. I don't think he's seriously going to be in the conversation, but I, I think he's probably having a career year. Um, we'll see where the goals and assists end up, but but he's on track for that, which is impressive. I, I think he's 31 this year um, to see that at this point. Um, I, I think there's multiple reasons why uh, he probably won't be MVP and he probably won't be seriously considered. Um, I, I think one, there are, there are some other players that, that are really deserving. I think David Villa is probably going to be the MVP, but we'll see there. He's not the only player that I think is going to be the contention for that. But I also think when you look at MVP, oftentimes you're get the MVP of the league. Um, it's often the team person that wins the golden boot. And it, Within that, it's also often a player on a team that is one of the better teams in the league. Um, a, a team that certainly is in playoffs. You'll, you'll usually see the MVP from a team like that. You don't generally see 
the MVP coming from a team that's missing out on playoffs or near the bottom of the standings, even if that individual is having a great year. Um, so I think part of it is that the Timbers aren't having a good enough year for Valeri to necessarily get the recognition he deserves. Um, and there's other players out there that are having quite good gears as well. I think that's very fair. In, in fact, I, I entirely agree with that. On merit, I would put Valeri sort of on the edges of the conversation right now. Uh, I, I, I think I agree with you. I wouldn't necessarily put him in my top three, you know, along with the David Villas. You know, I mean, <laughs> take your pick from Chicago. They may have some vote splitting problems, but... Uh, but I mean, there are people that would make uh, arguments for Nemanja Nikolic, uh, for Bastian Sch- uh, Schweinsteiger, and, and, and then for Dax McCarty as well. Um, the, a guy that the, the, that I think has not been talked about enough, and then and when you're talking about sort of most valuable player, uh, even though he doesn't necessarily have the numbers as some of these other guys, uh, I, I think uh, Vasquez for for TFC has been basically the most consistent. Uh, and an absolute rock uh, on one of the best teams in MLS history uh, and what may turn out to be the best team in MLS history. Uh, and, and and so I, I think he's a guy that, that certainly be, should be considered. Um, you know, I mean, I, mean I, I think at this point, you know, I could probably, if I sat down and, and charted it all through, uh, go through and, and, and identify, you know, eight or ten players throughout the league that I would want to put in that conversation. And I think Valeria would be one of those. I, I just think he would be sort of in the in the maybe the bottom half of that eight or ten uh, rather than uh, rather than the top half in, in particular. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, in the conversation, yes, to be sure. I mean, you shouldn't have fewer than eight or ten folks right now in that conversation right now because, hey, look, we've still got nine, ten weeks left in the season uh, to for this to shake out. But uh, should Valeri be broadly in it? Of course. Uh, Thorns three, Red Stars two. Woo, that was a big one. Uh, goals from Haley Rosso, Christine Sinclair, and Emily Sonnet again. Uh, pulled it through uh, for the Thorns in, in their win in Chicago. Uh, I'm going to get to predictions in just a moment. I forgot to put that in the mental notes, so we'll do that at the end of this segment. But, uh, you know, I two big questions coming from this. Let's take uh, sort of the big one first. Just how big uh, was that win uh, for, for the Thorns in Chicago? I mean, we talked about it last week. Biggest game of the season to date. Uh, how do you think that changes, given everything we know in NWSL right now? How do you think that that changes sort of the Thorns' aspirations for the season? Yeah, it's huge. Um, all, all of a sudden, they're in the driver's seat to earn a home playoff game. It's still going to be difficult for them to earn the NWSL Shield, though they're not out of contention. But that's in North Carolina's hand. If North Carolina wants to win the rest of their games or something, there's nothing the Thorns can do about that. But they are in the driver's seat to host a home playoff game, and that is big. Um, that That is a big difference in the NWSL and has been their goal um, along with obviously winning the Shield, but but the, one of their major goals since, since their inception in 2013. So this was a huge game. It, it changed the dynamics of the league. They took advantage of the, an opportunity, which they don't have with North Carolina, to go up against a team that they are competing with for a major spot in the standings, and, and they won. Um and so I, I think it changes a lot for Thorns. It gives them the momentum and it puts them in a position where it's theirs to lose now versus them trying to work their way up the standings. Now they can put their sights, sets their sights on uh, NWSL Shield. Um, but if they continue getting results, they're, they're going to be able to keep themselves in at least the second place position. Yeah. And so it certainly gives them sort of, sort of, as, as you put it, in their own control, that, that second spot to get 
a uh, to get a home playoff game. North Carolina, unfortunately, has been winning at just the pace that the Thorns have been. Uh, and so as a result, because they had a game in hand, they now sit five points above the Thorns uh, on the table. I mean, the interesting one is Chicago. This puts the Thorns above Chicago, firmly in second place, as we noted. Uh, and it's not something that, that I, not a position that I think Chicago, I mean, when you look at the two teams and who's trending in which direction, uh, that's not an exciting one uh, for, for the Red Stars, quite, quite frankly. The, the Thorns do have uh, a relatively accessible schedule when it comes to strength of schedule. They've got in their seven remaining games, four on the road, three at home, which, which is certainly a factor. But they've got some winnable games now on the road uh, in which they can, you know, sort of expect and, and, and certainly aspire to go get uh, three points. But, I mean, my goodness, you you fast forward to Saturday, September 30th now, the last game of the season, and it is the Red Stars coming to Portland. Uh, That game, you know, I mean, foreshadowing, looks pretty darn big, right? Uh, And and certainly, you know, if you're kind of getting down to it, given that that the Red Stars have to go to Portland to finish the season in in what could be sort of a winner-takes-all or, you know, home playoff game uh, kind, kind of game, you don't want to be chasing the thorns at this point. You want to be in the in the upper hand going into that game. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, that that is a big, big blow to the Red Stars to drop that game and to drop all three points to the thorns uh, this last weekend. So from that perspective, massive. Because in many ways, getting that home uh, playoff game is sort of objective number one for any team uh, in, in, in NWSL. Looking down behind the Red Stars, it, it's interesting, and, and, it, and it's sort of made, in, in my view, the whether the Thorns are going to make the playoffs question, I mean, not entirely go away because there's enough soccer to, to be played yet. Uh, but, I mean, that is that is much, much less of a question than, I mean, frankly, what we were talking about a few weeks ago. I mean, that was sort of the $64,000 question for us uh, a few weeks ago. Now, look, I mean, you've got Orlando, uh, who only have six games left sitting at, on 26 points. So the Thorns have five points on them with a the game in hand. And they're currently the fourth place team. Seattle, they're, they're sitting on 24 points now through 17 games, but they just lost uh, Megan Rapino for what looks like it'll be a, at least the next four or six weeks or so uh, due to a, a meniscus tear, if my memory is, is serving me right. And so that's really, really significant. You've got to look at that and say, yeah, it's not assured that Thorne's going to make the playoffs, but my goodness, it would take quite a collapse for them not to uh, at, at this point. And frankly, that's that, that's in large part due to going to the Red Stars, having a, a very tough game on the schedule, and nonetheless going and getting all three points. So, you know, I mean, do they come bigger than that? Yes. Uh, do they come bigger than that frequently? Nah. Uh, so the Thorns got off to a dream start in this game, going up too early uh, by way of Rosso and, and, and Sinclair. They lost the lead even before halftime, though. Uh, they did ultimately get it back, of course, hence the last segment. Uh, but do you think that that's cause for concern, that they didn't sort of take that dream start and, and sort of shut it down? Or is that just a matter of, hey, you're playing a good team on the road, like you're going to have some stuff go wrong. Cough, pay attention, Timbers, you're going to have some stuff go wrong. Cough, the Thorns are way better than you. Um, <laughs> I mean, what, what, what do you think as between those two things? Is it cause for concern, or is that just kind of the way the cookie crumbles and credit to them? Uh, for gutting it out and nonetheless getting the three points. Yeah, look, they made some mistakes there. I, you look at Christian Press's goal. Um, I, two was a rebound. AD French made a great save on it, and, and the Thorns left Christian Press wide open to come into the box and get that rebound. No one was even attempting to mark her. So, um, there, there's some issues there. They, they could have done better. Um, you would like to see them be do better, and, and I think, um, if they want to be uh, a team that considers themselves a front runner in the NWSL, you definitely want to see them 
do better in those moments and hold on to two zero leads. But for me, I'm not too, too concerned about this. I think it's exciting to see them show the type of fight they did to come back after blowing a two goal lead and still find a way to get that win, uh, still find a way to shut the red stars down in the second half and get the decisive goal. And I think you kind of point to it, but that's, that's a difference with the mentality. I think this thorns team is, has the confidence, has the leadership, and they're getting to a point now that they feel like if they're down goals, they can come back. If they make some mistakes and concede a goal here or there, they can come back. And I think they're playing with the confidence that could potentially lead them to a very good end to the season, uh, which is what we saw out of Mark Parsons team last year as well. So um, yes, there's things they should learn from this game but I am much uh, more excited about the results and their ability to come back after making mistakes than I am right now um, concerned about them giving up two goals to a good team on the road. Yeah, I mean, you know, it wasn't a 10.0, but the, the reality is sort of 10.0 performances come for teams so incredibly rarely that they're, you know, borderline myth. Uh, and, and, and on balance, you know, I I do think you're just going to get some of those punches. You're, you're just going to get... Uh, hit in the face a couple times when you go on the road to play a good team. You heck, even when you play a good team at home, uh, you're likely to take a couple of those. Uh, and and so the the fact that it wasn't perfect uh, is to me all but lost uh, among the the things that went well in this game. In both jumping out to that lead and then, as you put it, totally shutting down uh, the Red Stars in that second half and coming away, I, I thought deserved winners. I didn't think that was a fluky win by any means. Uh, and, and, and I thought, the, the, you know, that fact by far, by far surpasses any sort of doubt uh, about the fact that the Red Stars were, were able to get back in. I mean, would, you, would, you would agree that the Thorns were sort of deserved three-point takers from that game? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think after um, a bit of the first half where they were shaky, um, for the rest of the game, they controlled it. And they didn't let it get out of hand after giving, out the two, giving up the two goals. They put things together. Um, fought back and deserved to get that win. So our predictions, uh, speaking of deserve to get the win, that is you, Jamie Goldberg. Uh, you put, put your faith in these Portland Thorns. You thought they were going to come away with the win. They did. You called a 1-0 win, so it didn't get the scoreline right. But getting that result is, is I think, a, a, a relatively hot take. So good job on that. Uh, French uh, did not save a PK, as was your side bet. Uh, but she did, as you noted. Uh, she did make that big save on Kristen Press. So... Maybe we'll give that to you as like a partial kind of side bet. <laughs> maybe. Really. I don't know. Um, Press scored. So, you yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Okay. That's, that's nothing. But nonetheless, you got the result, uh, which was a, a pretty gutsy result call. So I'm going to go ahead and, and give you 11.63 points just for getting the result. Do you think that's a, a fair reward? Yeah, sure. I'll take that. All right. Uh, I called a 1-1 draw between the teams uh, with a Nadia Nadim Lady equalizer. Uh, zero points. Um, good show for me uh, from, the, from the points perspective. Uh, coming away with a grand total of goose egg. Uh, okay, Thorns at FCKC. That is coming up Wednesday. That's why we're recording this so early. Uh, this going into the road trip was sort of the one that you looked at and said, man, that's the one where they really got to get three points because I'm not sure they're going to be able to get all three from Chicago. At least that's the way I looked at it. Uh, but nonetheless, they did get all three from Chicago. What does that or does that at all sort of change the Thorns mentality now going down to FCKC? Or do you still sort of regard this and maybe every game from here on out as a, hey, those are three gettable points. You better go get them. 
Yeah, I, I think that here, I, I think that every game out um, from this point is those are three gettable points. Try to go get them. And I think that's going to be the Thorns mentality because they still believe the shield is within reach. And, and if they continue winning, um, yes, North Carolina is going to falter, but there would have to falter. But that's the, the best thing the Thorns can do to put themselves in a position to fight for that. Um, it is to keep winning and Chicago's right on their tails. Um, this was a big win, but if the thorns drop points in the, in the next few games, suddenly Chicago could be back in the driver's seat. So, um, I'm not willing to classify this as a must win. Um, I, I think that they did maybe relieve a little bit of pet pressure by getting that Chicago, um, result, but the standings are too close. And if they want to maintain this second place seed, um, they can't afford to drop points even on the road against weak teams. I do think this is going to be a tougher game than maybe it looks like on paper, just because the Thorns haven't been home. They, they've been on the road. This is a long road trip. That's not easy. Travel in the NWSL is very tough. Um, and they're going to be playing on short rest. Um, they're, they're going to hopefully have Nadia Nadim fully available, which would be a benefit, but they are going to be playing on short rest. We'll see if Tyler Lucy has a suspension. Um, and, and I, we're about to get to it, but Ali Long will not be in that game either. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. Um, so they are going to be dealing with some problems going into this game, and it's not going to make it a simple, um, simple, easy win for them, even though FC Kansas City has been struggling. But yeah, it, it is a winnable game, and this is one that I think the Thorns need to show their mentality, fight through the adversity, and find a way to get the result um, if they want to put themselves in the best position to secure the number two seed. There's one reason. Least. Oh, excuse me. Uh, there's one reason why I think this game sets up a little bit better for the Thorns than, than you may have let on. And that's that the Thorns not only have an extra day of rest vis a vis FC Kansas City, who played on Sunday, uh, but FC KC also had to go to Houston, which is a, a, a pretty taxing place to play. Uh, and so coming back off a game in Houston uh, on, on really short rest, that Sunday to Wednesday turnaround is brutal because you really only have, I mean, you literally only have two days between those, the, the, those games. Uh, I, I think is a little bit is a little bit more difficult for uh, FCKC. I think that extra day does make a difference. You know, and I think being out on the road and, and, and not having a ton of travel between Chicago uh, and Kansas City, that's a pretty easy plane flight. Uh, I, I think it sets up pretty well for the Thorns. So in many ways, I, I do think these are very, very attainable uh, attainable points against a team that the Thorns are just better than, with or without Allie Long. Uh, I think the Thorns are still just a, a better team than FCKC. And yeah, I mean, it, it's in some ways similar to, to what we were talking about with, with the Timbers in this upcoming homestand, where it's like, hey, when points are there to be taken, yeah, at this point, you can't really afford not to take them because you're right. I mean, look, Chicago has Seattle visit them next week. Uh, Megan Rapino lists Seattle uh, rain team. I don't think is all that great, uh, especially given the the form that Rapino had been in the way that she had really, really powered that team. And so it's a, I would say it's likely that the Red Stars are kind of come away with three points. Uh, and all of a sudden, if the if the Thorns go to Kansas City, don't get the three points. Chicago takes care of business. All of a sudden, we're talking about all this great work that we that we just discussed kind of being erased a little bit. And so uh, for for that reason, I mean, must win is, as we talk about a lot, always hyperbolic. But I do think these are three pretty important points. I don't think the Thorns can sort of go down there feeling like they're playing uh, with house money. Uh, Curtis, as you alluded to, wants to know, do you have any concern around Allie Long's quote-unquote excused absence from the last game and uh, this upcoming game against FC Kansas City? Do we know even what it's about uh, or whether it's cause for further concern? 
Yeah, Mark Preston's I, I spoke with him today, did not indicate why it was an excused absence. He said that she would be out. Um, he said she'd be out for obviously the last game and will be out for this upcoming game at FCKC as well. She will be fully available and is expected to be 90 minutes ready to go for the Houston game. He was clear on that. Um, so I don't find it a reason cause for concern. I obviously am curious and would like to know what it is, but that's just how it goes. I, I think sometimes these excused absences are for very important reasons, personal reasons. Often I, I don't want to speculate, but usually this, this isn't, I mean, this isn't a player that's asking to go on vacation or anything like that in the middle of the season. Uh, I, I can guarantee Ali Long would never do that. And, and it's also not an injury situation. That's, would not be something they'd label as an excused absence. They put those injuries down. Um, that would not make any sense or uh, that would be completely out of the ordinary and not what the NWSL does. So um, I, I think it's just an excused absence, probably something personal in, in her life that she needed to attend to, whatever it was, and, and she'll be back and should be healthy, like Parson said, for the Houston game. Yeah, you know, I mean, this is your weekly reminder that athletes are people too. Uh, and, you know, just like you and I and I think everybody listening to this uh, occasionally have have things that take them away f- from work. Sometimes they're good things. Sometimes they're bad things. Uh, sometimes they're sort of in between things. Uh, but that is that is the case with professional athletes, too. Uh, I think there is, I, you know, I I think Allie's commitment to the club and, and to the team is absolutely bulletproof, unimpeachable. Uh, and so, I, I mean, you know, knowing that she's going to be back. For that Houston game, uh, my concern level about this is, is zero. It certainly makes the FCKC uh, proposition a little bit more difficult, but fortunately, this is a team that has people like, you know, Lindsey Horan and Amandine Henri uh, and Christine Sinclair and other players that are very, 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 very extremely good. That was a lot of varies and extremelys uh, in, in the middle of the field. And so, you know, I mean, if it's a matter of losing long for a couple of games, I think that's something that the Thorns uh, can make up for, even with as, as good as uh, and as important a player as Allie Long is. Okay, predictions time, and then uh, we got to get everybody out of here. Uh, predictions, Thorns at FC Kansas City. Yeah, I think the Thorns are, are going to be able to grind this one out. I think it might be a little bit closer um, than uh, – uh, otherwise might be if they weren't playing on short rest and, and dealing with uh, a few absences, but I'm going to still call a two one um, thorns win. And because Christine Sinclair got on the board last week, I am going to say that she's going to lead them to that. It's going to be a Christine Sinclair brace, a Christine Sinclair brace that earns the thorns a two, one win. I'm going to go three, one. I'm going to show even a little bit more faith in them. Uh, you know, if for no other reason, to, but to make up for my lack of faith last week. Uh, so three, one. And I think Lindsay Horan, who was tremendous, uh, against the Red Stars is going to have another big game, uh, except this time she's going to get on the score sheet and she's not going to do it once. She's going to do it twice. Uh, Timbers, Red Bulls. That is Friday evening. Uh, I'm not going to make that terrible cliche that I did uh, last time we talked about that. Uh, Timbers, Red Bulls, what do you think is going to happen? Um, I am a little bit concerned about this game after the weekend, and we still don't know, obviously, whether Audie and uh, Ridgewell will be in there for sure. Um, that's going to – would probably change my predictions or how I'm looking at this game. I don't know, so going in blind on that um, sense. The Red Bulls have been playing well. I think the short rest for them will make a difference, but they are quite – quite a good team. So um, I'm going to go with a little bit of a disappointment for the Timbers. It's going to be a one, one tie, uh, not what they wanted. Um, And my side bet is just because it got to put the level of difficulty out there. Need to need to get some big points. Hopefully I'm going to go with a Mobiola goal. 
Laris Mabiala gets his first goal as a Timbers, what you say. Uh, in, in, in being the, the Charlie Brown to the Timbers, Lucy, uh, certainly risking that proposition here. I'm going to put faith in them one more time. Uh, I'm going to say they're going to make everybody forget about the TFC loss by reversing that scoreline. That's right, folks. Calling a 4-1 win for the Timbers. I think the Red Bulls have a lot of travel uh, in them this week. They've got a lot of important games. Uh, and for them, in many ways, I see this upcoming game against the Timbers as kind of the, the, the Timbers version of the, you know, their version of the Timbers going to TFC. Uh, so I'm going to go 4-1 uh, Timbers over Red Bulls. I, I, I think it just means more to the Timbers. Uh, they're on better rest. Uh, I think Fernando Adi not only will play, uh, but this is like becoming the the Darlington Nagby prediction that I had from a few years back. Uh, Audi is going to break out of his slump, and he's going to break out of his slump in historic fashion by scoring a hat trick. Um, that is three goals for those uh, who who are catching up. Um, so those are our predictions. I'm pretty sure it's going to be a you know a humbling experience for me next week. Uh, but nonetheless, that's the fun of this uh, uh, of this game. Uh, speaking of games, MLS Fantasy Soccer Main Portland Fantasy League, uh, third place that is Beer City FC Benjamin uh, with 2,187 points. Second place Timbertown that is Lie 2,193. Third place or first place. This is hard. They, they, co-hosting a podcast, people. I just want to point this out. Very, very hard. Harder than it sounds. Uh, first place, <laughs> like you have to count backwards. It's ridiculous. First place, that is Big Hearts Brass Balls, Aaron, uh, 2,223 points. Uh, the other thing you have to do is be respectable in your uh, in your podcast fantasy league. I'm pretty confident that I'm there. Uh, I'm in 26th place. Uh, not great, but perfectly respectable. 2,002 points. Uh, not respectable, Jamie Goldberg. She doesn't play. Uh, so you're going to have to make up for that in other ways. And it's a good thing you do, uh, by, you know, bringing your, your journalistic excellence and your, you know, very reasonable, well thought out, uh, and today multi-layered takes. So, so well done on that regard, not well done on the fantasy soccer regard. Uh, this is Soccer Made in Portland. You can find us every week on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. Uh, you can subscribe, of course, of, on iTunes and Stitcher. Just on the other side of the internet, that's Jamie Goldberg. I'm Chris Reifer. Thank you, thank you for your questions and for tuning in. Enjoy the Thorns visit to FC Kansas City and the Timbers game against the Red Bulls. We'll be back to talk about all that and more next week. Until then, take care.